truth doesn't come in many varieties. The drug doesn't create reality. It allows you to see it. Dosage is only related as to how much Windex you need to clean your eyes. And some people, you know, any amount won't work right now. Hey everyone, welcome back to Michael Meditations Psilocybin Chronicles. Today's episode features another very special guest. He is a medical doctor of 30 years who then went on to study Ayurvedic medicine for 30 more years uh, with a strong foundation in Buddhism. Elliot Dasher is a teacher, student, and a wise soul indeed. I'm not going to lie, guests like Elliot really challenged me as a retreat leader and as an interviewer. The former, I am much better at than the latter currently. This conversation, well, while it took place months ago, uh, in like September or October of last year, and every time I thought about going and editing this episode or putting it online, I literally cringed because I thought I'm going to sound like an idiot next to Elliot. Uh, and that's why I put it off. There's no two ways about it. I didn't want to hear how I sounded in comparison to someone who is as accomplished, traveled, educated, experienced, wise as this gentleman is. But listen to it. I made myself do it because I ran out of content. And it wasn't as bad as I had anticipated, but I did get to edit out some of the uh, rambling that I tend to do. It was really, really a pleasure working with Elliot, uh, and it's really an honor to bring his wisdom to you in this podcast. You can find out more about Elliot's work at his website, elliotdasher.org. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, And you can buy one of his books, take one of his classes, watch some of his videos, uh, lots of stuff on YouTube. You'll be glad you did. Very, very beautiful soul here. Elliot touches on some really important information in this episode, particularly his meditation practice. And I just can't overstate how valuable, how crucial having a personal awareness practice is to not only getting the most out of psilocybin, but out of life, really. It's this kind of, it's this discipline that allows us to more easily transition into and manage the experiences of psychedelics, but also more tangibly bring those insights and experiences back into our daily life. Really, really valuable. Uh, and it's going to be different for everybody. Your your meditation, your awareness practice is probably going to be different from mine, even if it is from the same tradition. Um, so just like the psychedelic experience is your experience, the practices that you put into place to help harness those experiences and help integrate those experiences are also in many ways going to be uniquely your own as well. Psilocybin is one of the most effective tools for raising awareness, but it can also be an invaluable tool for training awareness. Staying present in the experience can be difficult, but to do so opens doors and trains us to bring this focus into our daily lives. The things that I have learned about myself, my body system, the world that we inhabit while sitting and observing myself and the world around me during the mushroom experiences, it creates this positive feedback loop 
uh, that expands my awareness overall. And so, you know, I've heard that psychedelics are great tools for learning how to die, but maybe they can be great tools for learning how to live, too. (laughs) That's what I'm choosing to make of my experiences anyway. As Elliot talks about in this episode, mushrooms don't really produce the lessons. They just open us up to the lessons that are all around us. Now, my knowing how to communicate with trees is not limited to just the mushroom experience, the awareness of this mysterious life force that some call chi moving through my body and the world around me. It's not confined just to the six hours of psilocybin. And it's because I've been engaging with the process outside of mushroom time. And it's only by integrating these experiences into our everyday that we can really change our lives and the world around us. What lessons are you bringing back? Do you have something you'd like to share? I'd love to hear. You can email me at the silocron at gmail.com. Uh, maybe you have some lessons that I can share with listeners. And don't forget to check out our videos on the Michael Meditations YouTube channel. And be sure to share this podcast with your community. Anyway, let's get on to this episode. I think you will enjoy it as much as I did. Won't you join me in welcoming Elliot? to the Psilocybin Chronicles. Elliot, welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. Well, thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Uh, As we kind of briefly spoke in there, just uh, the value of the individuals, each individual that they bring to this experience contributes to the overall and uh, have really appreciated uh, the individual that you are in this experience. Well, thank you. And your contributions in making the setting available for people and your understandings and growth from the work you have done is a gift to many people. Thank you. Uh, so, first question. I, I, I don't, for you, for you, I almost feel like psilocybin itself for you is like just no big deal. So all of these questions are kind of going to kind of be no big deal, but you're going to have great insights, I'm sure, to a lot of this. Uh, but if you were to consume psilocybin mushrooms now that you've had an experience with them, who might that be and why? Well, I think it's um, uh, a very individualized thing. For me, it would be with myself. Uh, I would choose not to be with another. There are many ways to learn. One is through dialogue and interaction and transmission from wise people, and that has a great value. Uh, but there is another process of learning through direct experience. And just like uh, the early stage of uh, uh, the drug experience can distract you with its visual, beautiful visual uh, geometrics and so on, and, and perhaps with sounds and this and that, and some people use music, there are many ways to distract ourselves from what mm-hmm. is really the essence. So uh, any dialogue or conversation would distract me from actually going right there and experiencing in my own consciousness what's always there anyway. So I would choose for that experience to do it by myself. Now, I go from here to Colorado to be with a teacher for two weeks, uh, and that is a different kind of experience that dialogue has a value in. But this one... Uh, to hear myself and the wisdom that's in there in every one of us, I would choose to do it by myself. That's not necessarily right for everybody, mm. but that's the way I would do it myself. Well, I, I would certainly say after seeing how you've managed the mushroom that you are a good candidate for self-dosing. Uh, of course, if you're not accustomed to uh, these kinds of mental states, then uh, maybe not because uh, it can get a little 
a little wonky sometimes uh, for some people. Um, but that's really uh, very, very well said, uh, the value of this experience for the self. This is a very personal experience. It's an, it's an experience, and that's important because it's not uh, cognitive learning. I mean, there, there has to be a cognitive understanding of what's been experienced, but the experience is what's transforming and what really makes the difference. You know, I think there needs to be preparation, which is going to determine what kind of experience you're going to have. But the experience itself uh, is one that in general, um, at least for me, where I want to go with it, which is look at the essence of things, needs to be done alone. There are others who may go through some significant psychological um, uh, issues, and that may be, may be the source of dialogue during the session. Uh, so I think it differs from for different people, but for me, that's how it would be. Right. No, that's great. Great answer for you. Um, when when did you first hear, hear psilocybin mushrooms? You know, the whole issue of consciousness has been with me pretty much my whole life with the intermission of becoming a doctor, which made me too busy to think about those things. Uh, and the readings, uh, many that I've gone back to for, for this, William James's book, Aldous Huxley's book, and so on, mm-hmm. Uh, books I read many, many, many years ago. And I would say I started thinking about it again about eight or ten years ago that uh, experientially this may often be something that I was not necessarily getting through my um, philosophical and psychological studies in Buddhism. So I did try at that time uh, ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Preceding that, I had done uh, some had some experience with MDMA four or five times. This was back decades ago. And I think that's what stimulated me to say, okay, let's see if there's an experience that can illuminate, so to say, what you've already learned experientially. Uh, that did not happen to me with ayahuasca, it did with MDMA. Mm-hmm. And then a friend called me um, six months ago and said she had an experience here uh, with um, uh, psilocybin and suggested I read uh uh, the uh, new book on it and uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, I did. And it got me into, again, going back to reading about William James's sense of what the religious experience was, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. goes across drugs, traditional religion, mysticism, shamanism. And that was something I felt I wanted to touch on deeper in my life experientially. And, um, and I felt that for years. So this seemed like an opportunity to do that. I trusted my friend and her experience. Um, and uh, so here I am. So this is the first time you've had it. You had heard about it uh, kind of um, indirectly through some literature. And uh, it's, you, well, you actually mentioned earlier that you had been in the retreat that you had been at Esalon around the time McKenna uh, and that gang was run through. Well, as I right? read Michael Pollan's book, I realized how many of these people that I had really touched into, uh, Messner, mm-hmm. Ralph Messner, mm-hmm. um, McKenna, uh, and others, while I was in San Francisco, I didn't know what was going on. I mm. was completely in another space. Is that just medical? You're strictly in... Um, uh, at that point, I think I had given up practicing medicine, so I was doing two years of fellowship at the on and off at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. So I got to meet a lot of these people in that process. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I was aware of what was going 
underground. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was that underground, but it was what nothing about underground. I couldn't see it. Just to, just as in regards to shrooms, or when you hear about when you surely have heard of magic mushrooms in passing uh, as a drug, did you have any co- you know particular perception of them or? No, not really, except what I read in literature that they provide some kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, I had some expectations or hopes of what that experience would be. Um, but when I talked to people who had experiences, they were all across the board from uh, very difficult ones to very ecstatic ones. And so um, I, I didn't know what exactly would, would go on with me, and I had to take that variability of... Uh, uh, of experiences and go find for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what this is all about, finding out for yourself what the experience holds for you. So I'd like to take some of your personal experience that you've had thus far and see how, it, whether or not there is any intersect with your work in wellness. And maybe you could talk about your work, first of all, uh, and then we could lead into that. Well, let me say this before I do that. Um, that one of the things that become very clear to me here is that the preparation um, that is done before, and as they say, set and setting, you've got the, um, the set here. Uh, but the work I've done before largely influenced what happened during the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may speak to what may be a valuable process of engaging people in certain levels of preparation before they even Prior. come. Mm-hmm. Um, I practiced medicine for 21 years, full-time internal medicine. Uh, and that period of time, I got involved in uh, the things of the day, the wellness movement, the holistic movement, um, the uh, psychological self-development movement, stress management, and wrote about it, wrote a couple of books, and uh, traveled a lot speaking on a regular basis on those issues. And... Um, it became apparent to me over the years, particularly when I went to conferences, uh, that I'd speak to a lot of people, everybody would go home excited, and then and nothing would change. Mm-hmm. So basically, I was intellectually entertaining people, mm-hmm. and I realized it wasn't enough. So I settled in, after I stopped practicing medicine, to do my work locally, where I could work with the people I lived with on an ongoing basis for years, uh, developing the work with them as they grew, as I grew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I currently do now. I do several, um, uh, two, seven or eight session meditation training courses, which are as much educational as they are training uh, for meditation. Um, I have a counseling practice, and I also uh, run a study group, which we look at some of the more sophisticated and subtle levels of consciousness amongst those who are ready and able and willing for that. So how does this work affect that? I think any time that you begin to understand the essential truth towards which you're going with your teaching, you're able to to be that, present that with more confidence, more clarity, uh, more heart, more persuasion, more, con- more of a contagion. Um, and uh, so it does move that process. Uh, and more recently, my training and meditation has moved more uh, towards awareness, which has the capacity of moving us towards a non-dual recognition of reality or unity consciousness, which is not possible with mindfulness, which is an important tool, but it is a cognitive process ultimately, 
And if one stays with that, one cannot move towards non-duality. So my teaching has moved down towards uh, much more awareness training and focusing the meditations in that direction. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to provide for those many of those people uh, this kind of experience because they're ready. Mm-hmm. They're prepared. You're preparing them for they're that. They're prepared yeah. and they yeah. could integrate it uh, with the context uh, so they would have an experience and they would know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I would say for most, you're talking about years of prep, right? You've, you've been, the, the mind is not an easy thing to navigate. The more skill you have in uh, understanding it and touching it yourself, the more easily you can communicate it. And you never know how long for some people. It may be an hour, mm. it may be 10 years, but they're clearly the better you are at teaching, the more, like any, <laughs> if you want to practice, learn tennis, you're the best teacher you can find. Right, right. Um, and if you have the best teacher you're going to find, you're going to learn a lot more quickly. So true. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm learning a lot here this week from you, sir. Uh, so your most recent book, Aware, Awake, Alive, as I'm glancing through it here, you gave me a copy early this week, and it is quite psychedelic in a way. Um, some of the chapters, uh, human flourishing, sleeping, I'm sorry, shaping the future, cultivating and abandoning, transforming affliction, alchemy of adversity, the lightness of being. I'm seeing a lot of themes and concepts that, as you're su- suggesting, contribute very much to the psychedelic experience, but I'm also considering how within the psychedelic experience these concepts can arise of their own. Um, and so it seems that there's there's the potential for a, uh, a synergy between uh, this awareness meditation uh, and psychedelics. No, there definitely is. And I, I think you take whatever a person's experience is and you try to create a frame for it which points towards something larger. Now, last night we spoke with a woman that I spoke with the night before who was talking about having to go into all of these difficult, traumatic childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And I raised for her the possibility that maybe she should abandon that belief. Maybe she's correct. Mm -hmm. She has to do that. Maybe not. Um, But maybe let that go and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she did. And she found herself in a space that uh, that in part was uh, related to the a drug experience, but which part also brought her back to her relationship to a certain music, um, which took her to a space that was not her ordinary self. And in that space, there was no suffering. There never is. There's no worry. It's timeless. There's no person. There's a place of flow, of peace, of harmony. That who, that's who she is. Mm. Now, if I can point her out to her that that's who you are, and that's what you touched, she now is a touching stone as a result of an experience that she has that she can characterize as being possible for her at any time. So it's taking whatever somebody brings up and not getting lost in the, uh, the story, but in seeing how I can take that to point out a larger context, a larger place for you to look for, a larger place that you can be. Um, and that is different than getting entangled in the psychological stories which leads to no place. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not to diminish the value of psychology in certain circumstances, right. 
but it is not basically uh, an experience that can give one transcendent understanding. And it doesn't, because we don't focus on the trauma, we don't, it doesn't mean we're not giving value to the events that led us to where we are today either. Uh, yes. And actually, when you're in this essential self, this core of one's being that has been there from the very beginning, there's no history in that. Mm. There's no contamination in that. There's, you can't find yourself in that. You can't find the trauma. It's actually not there. It sits in the eye and the agent of the eye that can recall past history and that is consumed by it. But once you step out of that, you're no longer living in that. It's not there. Now, the question that arises, as she mentioned to me afterwards, well, how do I stay in this aspect of myself, mm -hmm. which is really who I am. It's not this <laughs> confabulated story that's been fabricated over a lifetime. I didn't come out of the womb with an eye. I came out of the womb with a presence. Um, how do you do it? Uh, you, uh, in many ways for many people, meditation is one form. Uh, Re-experiencing psilocybin at times is another form. Uh, studying is another form. Service is another form. Uh, there are many ways to touch this place, but there needs to be a process, an educational process. You know, we we grow up thinking we can do intimacy with another person, a uh, trial by error. Mm -hmm. It's probably the most difficult thing a human being could ever do. Mm -hmm. And Rilke said that to uh, able to love another human being is the final test and ultimate proof that everything else has been done. And we're expected to just do a trial <laughs> and error and learn it. They're learning to experience the higher levels of consciousness again uh, is uh, a, a lifetime task. It's mm -hmm. the only thing we can take to our end that's going to be significant, uh, that's going to bring happiness and joy, that's not dependent on an object, an attachment. Uh, so, of course, it's an ed ongoing educational process. It may have different phases. I think the role that uh, psychedelics pose when they are used within a framework in a context that's not recreational um, would allow uh, a person to use that as part of the process of growing mm -hmm. because experiential uh, touches are very difficult to get. Yes. And this does offer that and in the proper context one can, one can develop it, sustain it, grow it, deepen it and not just rely on it on regular intervals. Right, where it's infused into your being. That's correct. That the, the purpose of, of any method, including a drug, is to come to an end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been giving that quite a bit of consideration here lately. Um, I don't feel like I'm at the end with psilocybin by any means, but I am more and more finding for myself as many times as I revisit these places of awareness um, that they become more more embedded in, into who I am. Uh, it is very easy, though, to lose sight of right now. Uh, your book talks, uh, first off, leads out in human flourishing and refers back to human flourishing and what that means throughout um, and uh, where wellness intersects with mind extensively. And this, personally, I believe, is the where psychedelics are, are taking us the depression the uh, anxiety i think this is kind of just scratching the surface of the ability of these experiences um, because they're ultimately leading us to what you've spoken about before consuming psychedelics so could you talk a little bit about uh, what you mean by human flourishing and uh, your concepts and understandings of of wellness 
Well, there are two aspects of, of, of Buddhism, and I could say of any learning process, but that's the example I'll use. The first is uh, teaching people how to have a healthy human life, mm-hmm. and that is to be more loving, more kind, more patient, more generous, uh, more understanding, a better listener, uh, more compassionate. Uh, and this process is a process of self-improvement. Self-improvement does allow us to have better lives and participate in the creation of better society and a better world. Mm-hmm. That's the number one. Uh, the second is to understand the nature of reality and the nature of self so one is freed from the constraints of a limited and conditioned mind. Mm. So transcendence is different than self-improvement. Self-improvement can set the stage in which the probabilities uh, of you being able to have a transcendent understanding are greater because Mm. obviously the healthier you are, the quieter your mind is, Mm. the more stillness you have, the more uh, loving you are, the more kind you are, the more you are open uh, to a transcendent experience. So uh, people often make the uh, mistake of not recognizing that there is a difference between self-development, which has an endpoint of a healthy human life, which is a positive achievement for anybody, and transcendence, which is touching into the, uh, the full capacity of human consciousness. Um, human flourishing can be used in either form. You can call it that way in terms of uh, living a healthy human life and flourishing into the best person we can be. Or you can use it in the terms, uh, the transcendent terms, that human flourishing is the capacity to touch into the deep qualities that are there in a healthy human life but much more spontaneous, profound, perfected, and completed. Compassion would be one. Mm. Compassion in a human life is a wonderful thing. Um, but there's always a little I mixed up in it. I get satisfied. I feel good about myself. I get applause or whatever else. But the compassion that comes out of the selflessness of a transcendent state uh, is a compassion that's so authentic, that has no concern for the benefits that accrue to oneself or the loss. Mm -hmm. It is just done out of a natural thing. It's like a mother in a boat with a child. The child falls into the water. The mother doesn't think I'm gonna be compassionate. All of a sudden the shock puts her in the space that's out of the person and into her deeper self. Mm -hmm. In that self there's a spontaneous action of jumping into the water. Same thing happens when a car comes at us. Our thinking mind is actually shut off. We're outside of our eye for a moment. It's not like we sit there saving, I think I'll save my eye and run away from the car. The body knows what to do, the mind knows what to do when it's outside of its usual constraints, Mm -hmm. and it does it automatically. So um, the qualities of human flourishing in in a higher consciousness or transcendent consciousness are quite pure, selfless, automatic, spontaneous, ever-present, unchanging. I think uh, I read it or heard you mention it in terms of um, it's like kind of like like you're saying a innate drive to end suffering or to alleviate suffering just because suffering exists. No, no, no return. Just suffering exists. What can I do to help alleviate this suffering? Yeah. And the wisdom they're recognizing that suffering is a mental construction doesn't mean there are difficult challenges and pains in life. There are. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing to deal with a challenge. 
It's another thing to create a whole story of suffering. <laughs> will it be there tomorrow? Will I ever get worse? Will people care for me? Will people love me? How I would deal with this? All of this is not about the challenge. All this is the superimposition we put on it. So the wise person who understands that suffering is not a necessary part of life, it's an add-on, a superimposition, mm -hmm. sees the sadness that others cannot see that mm -hmm. and suffer as a result. Mm. It doesn't mean they try to teach them a higher teaching because when you see suffering, it's real for that person that's having it. You do whatever you can in a moment. And if that's giving a medicine, you give a medicine. Uh, but if you can teach how to uh, transcend suffering and somebody's available for that, then that you teach. That's your greatest gift. Mm. Uh, but you do it all because you see the truth of what suffering is. That mm. it's, it's really an add-on. Something we may have pain, we may have difficulty, we may be aging, may be approaching death. All these things are facts, uh, not to be denied or repressed. But the story we put around it and the fear and the anxiety is what the suffering is about. Mm -hmm. And that's unnecessary. Yeah, you talk about living a life of well-being despite pain, like a physical pain or, or, or emotional, all the pain that exists. And, and, and within, within the psychedelic world, uh, I think it, there's the real risk of these medicines being presented as some next panacea that's going to alleviate your par relieve your pain and that's just that's just not the case you it you will still experience pain you are on this planet you will experience pain it's how we manage it how we experience it uh, that gives it quality and that's what's important about uh people doing the best they can to present this opportunity which we know was lost in the 60s and mm -hmm, 70s mm -hmm. and we know why and undoubtedly, it will be distorted uh, mm -hmm. in the years to come as well. But that doesn't mean that those people who feel a responsibility to help people cannot stand up there in their own courage and create the true circumstance that will attract those people mm -hmm. who are really interested. They won't be the most popular people. They won't have the best book. Mm -hmm. um, but they will be there doing real work rather than creating uh, another addiction uh, and another high uh, that gets lost when it's over. Mm -hmm. Tylenol brand psilocybin. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, there's so, so much there, so much. Um, so now that you've had psilocybin, uh, wha how do you perceive it? Is it, is it as you expected? Um, kind of what maybe personally do you see as a, a potential role that it could play in your future? Well, it was very clear to me why why I was going into it, and um, and that I was looking to see uh, as much of reality and truth of myself and how things are that I could possibly see. And uh, I think because of that strong intention and my my real comfort with my psyche, I wasn't concerned about any negative things happening. Mm -hmm. I uh, and uh, I didn't get distracted by anything that wasn't going to take me in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, where I went. And uh, and so I think it needed strange need of just showing me what's already there mm. uh, and let, letting me know it's just an experiential understanding of what I've understood philosophically and psychologically. And that is not to diminish it because the experience is what's transformative, mm. not the understanding. Mm -hmm. But without the understanding, I would not what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. So it's like going on a, you know, a, a 
scavenger hunt, but not knowing what you're looking for. <laughs> so you find a piece here that's interesting, a piece there that's interesting, a piece there, but you never find the gold. Mm -hmm. And I was searching for the gold. And that's what came to me. And as I said to you, um, the same thing happened on eight grams that happened on five. And I think the same would happen on 25 because the truth doesn't come in many varieties. Uh, and when you see it, you see it, you, you know, you see it. It's not the question of the drug doesn't create reality. It allows you to see it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the dosage is only related, as we said last night, to how much Windex you need to clean your eyes. Um, and some people, you know, any amount won't work right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I did get that experience. How would I use it in the future? Um, I think I will come back to it. Um, I'll continue to do the meditations I do, which will, um, I think, be deeper and more clearer. Mm -hmm. um, I will begin to always remind myself to open my eyes and look very clearly that everything's there, mm. particularly when I don't see it. Mm -hmm. um, love, beauty, it's all there. Um, so I'll be more aware of that because of the experience. And uh, we'll probably revisit it here and there. Very good. Um, I'll be. I'm not going to ask you about your dose for tomorrow, but I'm interested to see how you approach that, and we'll we'll discuss that later uh, off the recording. What about uh, you? As an M as an MD, uh, you have so much insight uh, into how this medicine could be applied from your Western studies and your Eastern studies. Um, and uh, what are your, what are your thoughts? There's so much there. I feel like to explore. Well, to begin with, people often ask me when I stop practicing medicine, because um, I practiced full-time for 21 years in internal medicine, and I always tell them, who told you I stopped practicing <laughs> medicine? <laughs> medicine is about the alleviation of suffering and the uh, um, uh, promotion of well-being, mm -hmm. and I'm still doing that. I just don't yes. do it through pharmaceuticals. That's not because I have a problem with them. Mm -hmm. It's just that a lot of other people can do it, and there are things I can do. Uh, in terms of suffering that others haven't been trained for. So I'm still practicing medicine. How do I see it uh, integrated into medicine? Um, hopefully it won't be co-opted by uh, the culture completely. Uh, I think from my own experience, my background was enormously uh, helpful in directing me. So I think some educational background, I don't think it has to be extensive. Frankly, in the book I tried to, uh, the course, that book really came out of the course. Mm -hmm. uh, and the first uh, chapters, 4 through 13, are the course. Not that I necessarily would do the same course in preparation for this. Mm -hmm. um, but that's done in seven or eight weeks. In seven or eight weeks, there are people who would be prepared. In seven or eight weeks, I mean one night a week for two hours. So um, I would certainly educate people. Uh, so they had a profound appreciation for the sacred thing we're dealing with, mm -hmm. um, for the role of the drug as a facilitator, and um, for its right use and its right respect and its right follow-up, and uh, what it means in terms of what one does in the world when one is learning the things one learns. So I would be selective, so those who were ready for it, educate them and follow them through the process however long that took mm. and it's not just six weeks it's years but not directly one-to-one -one. some mm -hmm. people right. a group some people just 
uh, guided readings. Some people may be guided revisits. Other people may, may be video chats. Other people personal counseling. But setting up a process that can be a model. We have a process for the research now. That's been already developed many years ago by FDA. Mm -hmm. So we know how to do the research, how to set up the protocols. What we do not, we know it's been done on the ground. Um, but we do not have a uh, program that could be put out there uh, in which it's not only uh, not seen as a therapeutic agent simply for depression and PTSD, um, but it is seen as a way of approaching a larger, more human life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is, I think, the educational process and the wording that needs to go around it. So I think whoever does that is going to give a gift, although they won't have the bestseller. <laughs> and there'll be many people who would look for the comfort. My experience has been when I teach in the hospital that many people who have never touched meditation or had an interest come because it's in a hospital setting and because there's a doctor running it, which absolutely doesn't mean a lot, but mm -hmm. it does to some people in terms of credibility. So I think one wants to establish as much credibility in terms of the quality and the substance and the follow-up and the preparation and the mentoring that goes on so that one is as much a model as one can be even if the culture decides to go crazy with it in the wrong directions, mm -hmm. which it will. Mm -hmm. It Absolutely. will look for a McDonald's. Right. And that's okay. Um, uh, but the point that needs to be available uh, is the right experience and the ethics uh, of those people who say that is more important mm -hmm. than having my name up in lights. Right, mass, mass production of... Yeah, and I, although I think such a program uh, would be very sustaining mm -hmm. and very, very important for people and could even be a referral source for people in the healing professions. And it might even start with people in the healing professions uh, to the extent that it's possible because therapists haven't had this training either right. or this preparation. Um, so that's my sense of it, uh, that it could be of great value in the in the right context. Yeah, uh Set and setting again, right? Context is so, and and there's so much behind that goes into the making of a single session. Uh, the individuals the, that come to it and their stories, um, and the training of the individuals and experience of the individuals that go into administering. Uh, so it will be fascinating to see it unfold. And I think you're right that there will be uh, quite a bit of co-opting, um, but there is space and will be space for the, the high as with any field uh, for the highest quality of work what endures is what's what's real and what's true mm -hmm. and people who need that can see it and will respond to it others will go to the level they can go to it mm -hmm. there are some people who study philosophies and religions with great depth and devotion there are other people who go to services on saturday or sunday it's not to say one is right or wrong Everybody needs something else, and the thing is to make available the best quality product so that mm -hmm. uh, experience is a better word, uh, right. so that people uh, have a safe place to grow out of the suffering and misunderstandings and confusions that they suffer from. Um, man as mankind, humankind, has always had a longing 
to know what's beyond, to understand life and its mysteries in a deeper way. Uh, it's approached one way in the East, one way in the West, but the truth of the matter is it's really the same in all traditions. I don't want to go into it, but um, the Greek um, healing rites, which are the birth of Western medicine, the Asclepian healing temples, which went on for 800 years, and were the basis of, of Western healing now, all physicians are really called Asclepiates, um, were very, very uh, diverse and holistic in their in their processes, and I don't want to go into that because that's a bit of a story. Um, I think the non-dual is there every place, whether it's called Buddhahood, Christhood, Satchitananda, the Tao. It's in every tradition. And so I think what I find works most for Westerners right now is if they have a strong tradition, teach it within the context of that tradition. Mm. Um, if they don't, then teach it in a secular way. It's all going to the same truth is truth. Same place. Truth is truth. So whether you, whatever name you give it, what we're all seeking for is the same thing: a deeper understanding, a sense of unity, a sense of love and compassion, understanding, the relief of suffering. Uh, and this has uh, been written about in every tradition, and they all go to the same place in a different way. And uh, some people, psilocybin, may play a role in that. Uh, more and more in the Western world because we don't have uh, a lot of uh, religion in a traditional devotional sense anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, devotion is the quickest way to get there, um, but that's not available to the Westerner anymore. So med medieval Christian who can devote themselves completely to Christianity or to Christ, there's no self left. Mm -hmm. You can't devote yourself to other entirely and have a self at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so the experience, the divine experience is there. The same experience is there written by many Christian mystics. William James quotes so many of them in his book. Um, so that's not available, that devotional experience for most Westerners. So we have to find our way, and this feeling out how this all fits together is part of finding a way uh, for those in Western society who have no really way of attaining spirituality. Mm -hmm. And... Um, even all the pr practices, unless they're devotional, they don't have an experiential component to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's uh, pretty difficult. I heard you talking in one of your videos of how in the West we're reluctant to do the inner work. We're so focused on the outer, and I kind of considered in that if this maybe because it is this, the mushroom is this external thing, uh, and we perceive that as being the thing that's going to bring us what we need. And then we take the ex have it the internal experience, maybe the mushroom then is what or psychedelics in general are what is going to bring the West m more in a place where it's ready to do the internal work. Yeah, it may. Uh, I think about this woman last night again, who uh, whose entry in was the music of the Grateful Dead. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now she could focus on that as what the issue was. But the issue was not what was the entrance way. The issue was what the experience was. Mm -hmm. What did it open for you? Mm -hmm. what, 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 who, who were you? Mm -hmm. Where were you? What was there? What mm -hmm. wasn't there? And rest in that. Begin to know that. Don't get stuck in the messenger. Mm -hmm. If you get stuck in the messenger, you lose the message. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing would be 
for the um, psilocybin that it could be a very important messenger. But if you get stuck in that being mm -hmm. the, the messenger, you've lost the mm -hmm. message. Mm -hmm. Wow, so, so true. Uh, and important for me particularly, I feel like to remember because I spend so much time promoting psilocybin um, and more and more finding, though, that it's it is just leading me to what's already there. Eric, you knew this. Where'd you go? Keep waking up. Thank you so much, Elliot, for joining me here in this conversation. The uh, and <laughs> for so much of what you've taught just by being here this week. So for your billboard, if you were to kind of put up a billboard about psilocybin or the experience or what, whatever you're, you're leading people to, uh, what, would, what would that say? Well, billboards are uh, um, amenable to uh, sound bites, and sound bites don't really express anything with depth. Mm. Um, I think the Buddha's had it right. There's certain things you keep secret. Now, I don't think this should be kept secret. I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> uh, but there's certain things you handle with a certain care mm. and sacredness. Um, I think the message should be in the experience that people have and pass on, that there is a place, there is a retreat, just as there were in the ancient Asclepian period for 800 years, and learned to be larger in my life and better to other people. Um, but I probably would stay out of the popular uh, realm of books and um, uh, other such things. Now I can say this, that having said that, there's no question that Michael Pollan's book has contributed a great deal to what's happening mm -hmm. right now. But it also has to be said that Michael Pollan wrote a very well-researched, very well-thought-through, very balanced, mature book. Mm -hmm. So that's not a billboard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But if you can present those kinds of things, lectures, conferences, talks, videos, um, people know when they touch what's authentic and real, and they come towards that, and those who don't will go where they need to be, and that'll be to the McDonald's of this. I just want people to know that I have no intention of being the McDonald's of Silas. Yeah, I mean, if I was to present it uh, to somebody, I would be very careful uh, to who I presented. That's what you said. Some things should be kept secret. That's right. I even like that. Like, imagine you got a billboard, you go down the road, and you see some pretty mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms on it, and just in white in front, it says, Some things should be kept secret. Yeah, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that'll do it. Maybe that'll do it. It's, it's not that it's a secret, right. it's only a secret to those who won't understand. Right. No, this is, this is uh, you know. But that'd be a very nice billboard, maybe. Part of the human experience. You know, just like you, you've talked, in a, if the, when a child is born, a child experiences pure being. There's no, none of the, all, the, all the baggage. What, what, what was your takeaway from the first session? Do you remember what the line was you said to me as we're sitting down there by the cannon and you were talking about the things that you kept having? Well, I mean, what comes to me is I don't remember specifically that as the T.S. Eliot quote from his four quartets where he says, um, we shall never cease exploring and the end of, all of our exploring will be to return to the place we started from and know it for the first time. Mm. That knowing is the difference between the naive child experience that cannot but be lost in conditioning and the wisdom that knows the value of it and can hold it once it's touched again 
So it's all coming home to what's always been there and the long excursion we've taken uh, through culture mm. and through striving and many other things that have their value but ultimately don't take us home and home is where it is. Yes, 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 yes. Well, thank you again for joining me and thank you uh, just for for the work that you've done, um, especially you know coming from the medical field and then going into uh, the direction that you have. Uh, there's a lot to move the needle for even work like this setting the stage so thank you thank you thank you well thank you i mean i think you have made a very bold uh, contribution and um that uh can represent the best of this all right we'll see where it goes great all right folks i hope you truly enjoyed that conversation as much as i did my takeaway from my time with elliot well that's why I'm going to keep it short and sweet. The truth can only come in so many varieties. Uh, now ain't that the truth. Till next time, my friends. Thank you for joining me on Michael Meditations Psilocybin Chronicles.